2: Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Finn Jones does for press tours. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And James Hunt. We'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of Rachel Talalay's 1995 movie, Tank Girl. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seven James to explain the comic book concept... That, as a movie fan, I just don't understand. Um, And this week, guys, this is something that I have been told repeatedly I don't understand on Twitter. How come Wonder Woman doesn't have armpit hair?
0: (laughs) I mean, there's no obvious reason for that, (laughs) is there? I mean, the the reason is because the 1940s or whatever.
2: (laughs) So I I tweeted something about this um, after seeing articles online and then got... um, it got quoted in some articles around the internet and then lots of Twitter eggs came after me telling me that <laughs> A, I was weird and had a fetish, and B, that I was politically motivated to want someone to have armpit hair, and also C, women with hair are smelly and disgusting, don't you know that? Um, <laughs> to be but fair, I was, so more, I was with hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was more interested, I thought I'd use this as a way into talking about Wonder Woman because we've got the Wonder Woman movie coming up soon, and about her various origins, because one of the Twitter eggs told me she's made out of clay. So what's what's the current status of Wonder Woman in terms of her origins, and what are we likely to see in the film?
3: Um, well, I think those two questions are somewhat unrelated. Um, but oh, Wonder Woman has had a lot of confusing origins, and I believe that a version of her origin is literally in the process of being told at the moment, because as part of DC Rebirth, Greg Rucka's run has been alternating issues of a year one storyline and a present day storyline. And I also gather that there's just been a big retconny twist as part of that story, where okay. something that she believes to be the case about her origins is not the case. But the problem is that you've had so many versions and so many origins down the years. Um, she was I know she was revamped in the 80s. She was one of the characters who did get a proper reboot in the 80s post-crisis. Um, Mm. Also she was rebooted, she got a very drastic reinterpretation with the New 52 uh, but that run was written by Brian Azzarello um, and while it got good reviews and apparently tied quite heavily into Greek mythology I'm, I'm not really a fan of Brian Azzarello so I didn't read that and then you've got the Greg Rucker run now which is apparently making tweaks to her background and origin as well but the the original origin is that she was sculpted from clay by Hippolyta.
2: So sculpted from clay by Hippolyta,
3: that's the... um,
2: Is that the Robin Wright character in the movie?
3: Yeah, I mean, Hippolyta is the queen of of the Amazons, Um, you know, that's... And, you know, that goes back to... um, Oh, no, it's Connie Nielsen. okay. Connie Nielsen in the movie. Yeah. Um,
2: But... In the trailer, there was mention of Zeus, was there? About her being the daughter of Zeus or something so,
3: like that? So, yeah, so the thing of her being the daughter of Zeus was one of the recent retcons. I believe that might have been what was in the Azzarello stuff. But, again, I'm not certain.
0: Like, no one... I doubt many comics readers would be able to give you a decent précis of Wonder Woman's origin because she's had about 50... Like, she's the kind of character who every new writer who gets their hands on her goes, Mm. I'm going to tell a story that streamlines Wonder Woman's origin and makes it comprehensible. And what that actually means is I replace it with a completely different version.
3: (laughs) I I think probably what I would say is the thing with Wonder Woman is that, like, the part of her origin and story that's iconic is not... How she was created, or Mm. you know what her parentage is—it's not like Superman, where you know, born on Krypton, sent from Krypton. What's iconic about her origin is she is from Paradise Island, from a female-only society of Amazonians, and she is the first of them to be sent to man's world in inverted (laughs) commas. That's the part of Wonder Woman's story that that doesn't change. Isn't isn't that the important part really?
0: Isn't one of the current thing origin things that actually there were loads of men on Paradise Island as well, though? or might, I I might be misremembering something
2: I actually so I actually read a couple of the early of the Greg Rucker issues the first few and there was something in the Rebirth issue about like her being aware of different origins and trying to reconcile them Mm. and so it was like her trying to figure out what her origin actually was this kind of this is a
3: slight sort of judder not off topic but onto a wider part of the topic but this is an interesting thing that dc seem to be doing with rebirth it's almost it's almost starting to become apparent as the the direction of um rebirth um like i think we've talked before about how on like grant morrison's batman there was like an overriding philosophy to it of it's all true and it all happened um and it seems like with at least some of the characters, they are moving towards that as a philosophy. Because in, in Superman, um I don't know if I can talk about this too much without spoiling the current storyline, which is Superman Reborn. Like as we record this, the issue that completes that storyline just came out. But essentially, DC have set up a new status quo for Superman. Even like a new a one that's even newer than the one at the start of Rebirth. <laughs> um and it is essentially that again, sorry, this is spoilers, but you know if you're reading superman you will have, you will have read it by the time this comes out hopefully um the the current version of superman is now a version of superman that has experienced everything that the pre-new 52 and the post-new 52 superman he's essentially mm. all versions of superman combined um and yeah it's like you know they've they've had sort of greg rucker's wonder woman you know exploring these different and potentially conflicting versions of her origin and it's quite you know it's a comic's continuity is such a ridiculous and convoluted and tricky thing And so much of it has gone on for so long now that you have almost got this thing of well, do you go down the ultimate slash New Fifty Two route where you just or Earth One as DC have done with those books, you know, where you just take a completely fresh interpretation that has none of the baggage. But DC tried that with the New Fifty Two, and people got disillusioned with it quite quickly because they kind of wanted the baggage, and I, (laughs) I, I I quite like a continuity that that says at any at any given point in time you can tell stories with this character and you can draw elements of 70 odd years of history and tell the story that matters at you know at that point with the bits of background that matter at that point you know um,
2: yeah i was reading online when i was researching just the news section for this podcast and i saw the thing about the reverse flash because he's been trailed mm. heavily as the villain in this batman flash cross crossover that's coming
3: yeah, and, and, it, the reverse, and the reverse flash is now flashpoint.
2: Yeah, but it's still, but it's still actually the new fifty-two version. He's just mm. kind of combined his selves or something. Yeah, but I, I do, I like that idea, and I think probably it works a lot better for DC, which is dealing with these kind of like their characters feel more like gods and icons than Marvel's mm. kind of. Um, exactly.
3: D- DC is a mythology in a in a way yeah. that Marvel isn't, really. And not just in the literal sense of, you know, Wonder Woman has her roots in, in mythology and there are other DC characters who do as well. Then again, there are Marvel characters that do, obviously Thor and so on. But, um, yeah, the DC's characters sit quite well as um, characters that you can kind of tell apocrypha about. Um, <laughs> and, you know, obviously Marvel do have their what-ifs, but... Um, Marvel has always been a little bit more I think about being a, a living breathing current and relatable world, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um well I'm I'm starting to
3: look forward to um Wonder Woman more and more you guys. There were there were two things that struck me about that last trailer which were Firstly, um, that it felt like it was rendering watching the first like hour or so of the film unnecessary, <laughs> um, because it was literally just telling the origin. I mean, that's in, just in the movie trailer. trailers now, though, it isn't is, it? Like, but it was. It seemed like a that, particular. That ship lead. has sailed. Yeah, and the other thing was that um, I don't know why this trailer gave me that impression and not previous ones. But I, I talked about this on Twitter. But it gave me this thought that this is going to be a film where she's not actually going to be... Like, Wonder Woman is not going to be her name um, she's just going to be Diana for the whole film and there's probably going to be one moment, like in Man of Steel, where some random supporting character, and my bet is that it's going to be a pilot colleague of, of Steve Trevor, like some random military guy is going to make an offhanded crack and call her Wonder Woman in one single moment and that's going to be the only time that she gets referred to as Wonder Woman. I've seen it suggested that it, maybe it'll be on a poster or something or a news headline or something. but <laughs> Say, that woman's a wonder. Yeah, some, you know something like that, um, which annoys <laughs> me because, like, you know, just bloody call the characters there. But at least the film is called Wonder Woman, which is an improvement on Man <laughs> of Steel. But yeah. yeah, and I just want to clarify
2: for all of the eggs that are unhappy with me. I'm not saying that Gal Gadot should have hairy armpits in Wonder Woman. I was just watching the tra- reading it, and going, yeah, I guess. Why would a female from a an entirely female society
0: yeah, exactly. Be,
2: be shaving her body hair. Yeah. Like, are you is, saying? Are you saying
0: that? that lesbians don't like shaved armpits?
2: No, I'm saying that a world that is is entirely free of um arsehole men and unrealistic uh, ideas of what what the correct form of body grooming is, is and isn't. That there's no reason why she would choose to shave her armpits. Okay. I mean, she Does might. So she it. might do. She <laughs> might do. But hey ho. Uh, Yeah, but the eggs are not happy with me, you guys. One (laughs) told me to get a loaf. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll move on now to our comic book movie news section. And uh, the first piece of news I'm sure we are all going to get super, super excited about. In 2018, that is the year after the one that we're in right now, There is going to be a Venom movie released. No, there
0: isn't. (laughs) I agree with Seb.
3: (laughs) There literally is not going to be a a Venom movie released next year.
0: 2019,
3: maybe. And it's going to be produced
2: by... Now, I know what you're thinking. They're making the Spider-Man movie. Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige are co-producing that. What are they going to do for this Spider-Man spin-off? They're going to bring back Avi Arad and Matt Tolmach to uh, produce that one because they they because obviously you can't spell
3: arachnid without
2: Arad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this seems like a bad idea, doesn't it? Especially, especially. I mean, imagine if they do get it out in 2018. It's going to mean that that movie's very rushed. It's not going to have the same um, kind of uh, talent. uh, bringing it to the screen that the spider-man movie has and presumably isn't going to feature spider-man or be connected to him because i'd be very surprised if venom is introduced in spider-man homecoming and although there is that insane internet rumor going around this week that life the uh, Ryan Reynolds, Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. movie that's coming out this weekend is actually a prequel for Venom. <laughs> um, apparently, people who saw that at South by Southwest can confirm that that is not the case. So, is this just going to be standalone? And is is a is a standalone Venom movie a good idea? Is that a... is that what you would be doing if you were Sony and you just absolutely have this pop up by not Marvel?
0: <laughs> under no it, circumstances. It's
3: this feels like right say somebody um like spirals into out of control alcoholism and then eventually crashes their car and gets done for drunk driving and gets sent to prison and goes to prison for six months and while they're in prison they go through a a rehabilitation program and they get completely clean and they walk out of prison refreshed (laughs) and a new person and the first thing they do is cross the road and go into the off license and down a bottle of vodka (laughs) (laughs) it's like why would you after finally getting Marvel to steer them on the right track and getting them to put out a Spider-Man movie that everyone is desperate to see and feels positive about the future direction of that character to bring back one of the things, and I don't mean bringing back the character, I just mean bringing back one of the ideas, this idea of a, a Venom spin-off movie with no actual proper roots in what they're doing elsewhere. To bring back that idea as the first thing you do after getting back on track is just... I just... Unless I mean the the only way I
2: can see this working, because I'm gonna I'm gonna presume that this Sony Marvel deal that is in place is literally for Spider-Man: Homecoming, and yes, they're using Spider-Man in Avengers: Infinity War, but as far as Sony are concerned, right now that's the only thing that it covers, and maybe some Spider-Man sequels. Um, so that I would imagine probably contractually, Arad and Tomac have to be attached. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like it, but can we rule out it being a spin off from Spider Man? Like, could we have the Flash Thompson character being Venom, maybe? Mm. I, mean, oh, I mean, it would Flash as be-
0: Flash as Venom needs a kind of build up that you're not going to get with one movie.
3: It, I think it does to an extent. What, what it kind of reminds me of, and this isn't necessarily a, a good comparison, is uh, when they did the Steel movie um now it that's a dreadful movie for all kinds of reasons but the basic premise of you've got this character he's a good character and he's an interesting concept now he has a part of his of his background that is very heavily rooted in an iconic existing character But you can strip that background away and in some senses it makes him a bit less interesting. But what you're still left with is a guy who's a weapons engineer um, with um, a past that he feels guilty for, who goes to seek amends by engineering himself uh, uh, some metal armour. And I've just realised that I'm basically talking about Iron Man. But... Principle still stands that, you know, that's a good premise. Um, yeah, the steel, his steel is just literally Iron Man. Anyway, um, <laughs> never occurred to me before. Uh, but the point is, it can stand alone as a good premise. And similarly, with the Flash Thompson Venom, in a way that the Eddie Brock Venom doesn't, you could take Soldier Loses His Legs and then through some experimental, whether it's technology or alien or whatever um you know gets this organic thing that grows him new legs and gives him powers but that also is a kind of ticking time bomb kind of thing that kind of works as a premise it's more interesting if it's flash thompson with his years of history and his relationship with spider-man and with venom's relationship with spider-man and it's in the marvel universe that is more interesting but i still think if you're gonna do venom in any way that could kind of work um I'm still not sure what the point would be, but it would kind of... I mean, it makes more sense than than trying to do a Venom movie just based around the Eddie Brock version of the character. Like, at least the, the Flash Thompson Venom coming along is a bit of a godsend for if you're Sony and <laughs> uh, these are the only characters you have the rights to.
0: I should point out, <laughs> the Flash Thompson Venom is finished as a thing.
3: No, but the, yeah, but he, the fact that he has existed means that yeah, it's I a guess, character that they I guess can they got do. a good
0: sort of ten years, maybe was it maybe not that long, five years.
3: I mean, I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't even mean necessarily whether it was a success in the comics. I just mean it has created a concept where previously there wasn't a usable concept for them to farm. The fact whether or not a character is successful in comics is completely irrelevant as to whether or not someone can make a movie out of them. They just have to have existed.
2: Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I just in when I read this though my assumption is that they're going down some kind of gnarly suicide squad kind of avenue with
3: Venom rather than It I mean yeah, it could be that they've looked at Suicide Squad and they've gone, "Oh man, that was what we were going to do with our Sinister 6 movie. Maybe we should get a piece <laughs> of that." Make uh, a bad movie. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well we'll we'll see what happens with Venom. I think you're right. 2018 seems very optimistic um there was initial announcement or a rumor that alex kurtzman was attached but i
3: believe that's not the case um i I think we need to have an official chart where every month or so we check in on whether we think gambit or venom is going to happen first (laughs) at the moment maybe venom's just ahead but i don't know there's
2: i mean there's got to be a dc movie you can throw in there as well shazam
3: yeah yeah
2: (laughs) gambit venom shazam i mean and now unfortunately marvel have taken in humans away from (laughs) us by deciding to make it on tv so yeah we can't include that anymore maybe the but maybe a black widow movie Mm. yeah okay uh we'll move on to a film though that is definitely happening and um i'm more excited about this than i was on our last podcast um, Deadpool 2 has announced some casting. Zazie Beats from uh, Atlanta is playing Domino. And um, according to the internet, Michael Shannon and David Harbour are the um, two lead contenders for Cable. And we should have um, an announcement of that casting soon. Um, what I, do you guys know. think about that?
3: I know you talked about... Um, on the Obviously, I, I um, wasn't on it, but I heard you talk on the Logan episode about... Um, David, you're liking david harbour from stranger things i yes. didn't know who he was um but having looked up a picture of him um i can see why he's a front runner for cable uh <laughs> because yeah that would make sense and like I, I know his face having seen him like i've you know i've obviously seen him in things he's one of those guys i just didn't know the name michael shannon
2: I mean, he, he really name. is a revelation in um stranger things as well
0: yeah well, he's got the, like, grizzled thing, hasn't he?
2: He would be my choice here. Having said that, Michael Shannon was a name that I read and immediately kind
3: of, like, recoiled that and then went, huh, actually. Well, if it means he gets to actually be funny again, that would be nice. <laughs> you know, after, after Man of Steel, it'd be nice to see Michael Shannon have a bit of fun because he didn't look like he was having a lot of fun in Man of Steel. I mean, Michael Shannon
2: is an actor who does exasperated so well. And I can only imagine, like, re- in real life, having to watch Michael Shannon hang out with Ryan Reynolds would be entertaining <laughs> to watch. Like, watching them do it in character as Cable and Deadpool. I-, I could get behind that. I'm still a bit upset that Kyle Chandler seems to have disappeared from these lists. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think maybe he was the, uh, was the choice of the previous director. Yeah. Um, I'm also
3: disappointed that Pierce Brosnan seems to have dropped off the radar for it, but I think oh, that was only wow. ever a pipe dream, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and Zazie Beats, I don't know, have either of you guys watched Atlanta?
3: No, I'd I'd never heard of her, but her name is amazing. (laughs) Yes. More more Zs in her name than anyone else I've ever seen. Yeah, three Zs across the two names. Um,
2: I I watched Atlanta last year. It's, for anyone who doesn't know, um, Donald Glover's sitcom that was long gestating on FX and, um, yeah, is really, really incredible and seems to be launching stars everywhere because, I mean, Donald Glover, off the back of that, I mean, he was great already, but now he's going to be Lando Calrissian in a Han Solo movie. He's voicing Simba in the live-action <laughs> adaptation of um, Lion King, which, again, great casting. Um, and, yeah, now Zay-Z beats as Domino. So I think it's probably sad news that I think it's going to take quite a while to get around to a second season of um, of Atlanta. But, yeah, I I would be... <clears throat> I, I'm so excited to see um her in a, a huge movie like this. Um and also, I mean, it's like we say we should we should uh, applaud the studios when they do this. They have gone for some, you know, race blind casting here. They've they've uh, Domino's not a black character in the comics, but she's gonna be played by a black actress in the in the films.
0: I mean to um, be fair, in the comics she's literally white. <laughs> They they could put any they could make anyone that colour and it wouldn't have any bearing on how she is. So,
2: hmm. um, what do you think this means for morena Bokarin? Because she she I mean she was playing a character who was Copycat, right? Yeah, in, in I terms mean of, in terms of the comics.
0: Yeah, like Copycat was introduced. In fact, when Domino was introduced, it was actually Copycat masquerading as Domino. So. I think there's still plenty of scope to reveal that she's a mutant who, with shape-shifting powers or whatever, which is what uh, Vanessa was in the comics.
3: I'd, I'd also be surprised if, I mean, I know it's Hollywood, but if if domino was gonna i'd be surprised if domino was actually gonna be a love interest in deadpool 2 given the age difference between ryan reynolds and Stacey Beats. my my hope would be that she's just there as a character and that it's not a case of her replacing vanessa as the love interest um, yeah
2: yeah um what did you guys think of the short film that played before logan i mean it it didn't play my screening, but I watched it online. I I spoke about my thoughts on it on the mini sode Were you guys any more entertained than I was?
0: Nah, uh, it was a fun. Like I think it was a funny thirty second joke stretched out to three yeah. minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, that was my issue with it. Um, did you see the uh, little bit be- little bit of uh, graffiti in there that said the word hope? And there's a lot of people that think that maybe we could be getting Hope Summers as well as Nathan. Hmm. does that that seem like a possibility for this film it's a take
0: i I, I think it's (laughs) it's more the sort of thing i can imagine it as an injet like as a running joke that cable has come to find hope summers or something but it like to do a story with hope summers in maybe she's a baby i don't know like it just it doesn't strike me as unless they're going unless they're going um, to like outright parody it i don't see them going that route
3: The only reason it'd be fun to see Hope Summers in a movie is that um, she's a character that's quite strongly associated with Kieran because when they (laughs) brought her into the present day and had her be a teenager, Kieran wrote Generation Hope. And Jamie drew some of it, didn't he? Um, Yeah, he drew I I, I know she'd been around for a while as a younger character and was part of um, that whole cable run, but um, I I associate her with with those two (laughs) because the only thing I read with her in was Generation Hope. Um
2: a brief bit of DC catch up now, guys. Um Suicide Squad 2 um has hired the Legend of Tarzan writer uh to work on the script and um John Collett sarah is a director who is being linked with the film. Um that for me would be um a much more favourable hire to um to Mel Gibson, who is the last name rumoured. <laughs> Um, John Colet-Sara has made some really fun nonsense movies in the past, which is what Suicide Squad 2 should be. Um, So I'd be up for that. Um, But the other piece of news, um, Seb, you tweeted about this from the podcast account. There is the rumour that one of DC's future movies is being pushed up to be filmed later this year with an eye on a release next year because they want to release two films a year and the Batman has
3: been pushed back.
0: I mean, they haven't decided which movie yet, which is a worrying thing, isn't it? Yeah,
3: <laughs> I was just—I—I I, I literally didn't remember tweeting about this, and I've just gone I, to look at the account. No, Iron this was,
0: was me. It. Yeah, it was me. Who oh, was it? it? Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> so it just—it just seemed like a, a Seb tweet. <laughs> <laughs> was this was this where it was it was Den of Geeks saying they don't know which one yet and and James retweeted it saying, That's the spirit. Yep. <laughs> yes. Which to be fair, I looked at that tweet and thought, Did I write that? Because it sounds like something I'd say. But that's me and James for you.
2: <laughs> I just
0: thought they could use a little bit of encouragement for this clearly difficult task.
2: It's just nuts though, isn't it? Like that they're, they're literally their plans are so loose that they could just shoot one film up a year that isn't even ready to shoot yet <laughs> it's crazy and they don't know which one it's going to be like I, I, it sounds to me like they're, they're only going to get the one film out next year which is Aquaman I believe um which has been just pushed back two weeks because um it was going to clash with the Venom release date so DC <laughs> are worried enough that they're going to move it out of the way of Venom they're worried um, they're
0: worried about a film that's not going to happen displacing their film that is currently happening
2: Yes, to, to and that's fair. confidence. They also, I, that's but they confidence. might have a film of their own that isn't happening yet, that might be about to happen,
3: that they could put there as well. So <laughs> Aquaman is as close as possible to a film that might as well not exist, so it makes sense to move it out of fear of a film that doesn't exist. <laughs> I, I think Aquaman could be good.
0: Yeah, um, everything I've seen be. about Aquaman well, makes me think it's going to be good. It's the it's, Of the DC films, it's the one I'm most interested in.
2: It's the one that we've not heard anything, like, apocalyptic about. It's happening, it's got a director, the director's committed, the star has been in place for five years now, however <laughs> long they've had Jason Momoa, ever since he did that one publicity still. That's
0: um, so it, get cast yeah. in a DC movie and your pension is assured. <laughs> uh,
2: but I wanted—I I wanted to say something positive, which is that if John Collett Sarah is directing *Suicide Squad* two, I think that would be a very good decision, um, and I'm sure he could put something together fast and efficient um, in time for next year. Is that is that was that positive enough? Was that good? Does so <laughs> anyone else want to add something? Yeah, we, <laughs> it we, we, was it need,
3: was a we bit damning to have with fake praise of, of, of Twitter eggs who tell us if we've been positive enough about DC on on any yeah. given episode. <laughs> okay, we'll 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 mind their
2: we'll mind their feedback after the show. Um, X Men TV news now um, two pieces of news um, and James, I want your take on uh, both of these. Go Legion has been renewed for a second series. <sighs>
0: Uh, earlier earlier this week someone one of my friends on twitter in fact it was sarah dobbs like previous podcast podcast guest and uh she was talking to someone saying like her they were talking about watching legion and i can't remember if it was her or her husband who said like i don't normally go in for marvel programs but it, it, it was I'll give this a go, yeah. yeah. And so I replied to the conversation saying that Legion has about as much to do with Marvel Comics as the average Batman comic has.
2: <laughs> James, yes. I mean, there's this is a spoiler alert for all listeners. Spoiler alert for Legion: a comic book character has been confirmed on Legion. Someone that you will have heard of. Tell what me, do you think about that. Do you, want, do you want me to tell you who it is? Of course. It's the Shadow King. The
0: Shadow King?
2: Yes, he is coexisting in David Haller's mind, and he's the villain of the series.
0: I mean, that makes me mildly more interested. Ah, there we go, we've got James <laughs> in! Also, the <laughs> I Sentinels! Wouldn't, I wouldn't the get, Sentinels, <laughs> If James. there are Sentinels. Everywhere. Yeah, but Sentinels I, was all over the place. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, a lot of <clears> the <throat> talk I've seen about Legion is emphasising, like, wow, that, that was an amazing experience, but I have no idea what's going on. So I might yeah. still wait and see if it actually pays off.
2: I would. I think if you're not in already, you should wait and see what everyone says about the finale. Yeah. Um, I've I've heard rumours that it all comes together um, from people who have seen advanced screeners. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's it, it very much could still frustrate. But it is coming back for a second season, so um, at least you know it's uh, they're committing to it moving forward. But James, yes. other X-Men TV series, mm-hmm. which now is going by the title of Gifted. This is the one that is going to be written and show run by Matt Nix and directed by Brian Singer. Jamie Chung is playing the lead character, who is Blink. Um, and just looking on the IMDb, we also know that Polaris is one of the characters in there. And it sounds like we're going to be getting some... X Men characters popping in up in this fairly regularly. Um, also, the cast um, Amy Acker and Stephen Moyer have been cast in this thing. Um, I, it's it's looking interesting. It's yeah. looking it's, it's looking, looking like maybe what we were hoping for Agents of Shield before Agents of <laughs> Shield turned up, like a proper comic book TV show.
0: It's looking like what the X Men. It's looking like the X Men show I wanted, which is characters from the comics being portrayed on tv <laughs> like that's all i wanted <laughs> Uh and the fact that amy is in it works for me as well because like i loved her in angel and alias and whatever else she's been in so
3: yeah i've just looked it up because i didn't i didn't know that she was in it and i thought oh i wonder if she, and because you mentioned polaris was in it i thought oh, i wonder if she's playing polaris she's not but that would have been good casting yeah i think i think she might i, I don't
2: know i think she might be the mum i'm not she, sure She, she is the mum yeah
3: right okay yeah,
2: um, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll have to wait and see on that. It could be really boring, um, but it could also be fun comic book stuff. And we'll see what Brian Singer serves up with the first hour. But I'm pretty sure
3: we'll get at least one season of that at this stage, given the names attached. Um, How did we get into a situation where James is more enthusiastic about a Brian Singer X Men property <laughs> than he is about a Noah Hawley TV series? I mean, come on.
2: Let's uh, move on then to our final piece of news, um, which is a TV show that is directly adapting characters from the comics. We're going to have a brief chat about Iron Fist. <laughs> now, we, we are going to have a bonus episode coming up soon on Iron Fist. I'm like eight or nine episodes through it um, because I've been ill and in bed for the last couple of days. Um, and Was I it that bad? Yeah, you know, I want... <laughs> I wanted to make myself feel worse, so I sat through nine episodes of Iron Fist. I assume this um, was a stag weekend thing. I got ill after the stag
0: weekend. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they're unrelated.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're really not. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, Iron Fist, James, you were in New York last weekend. Um, yes. Doing some interviews with um, the stars of Iron
0: Fist. Doing two um, very and- short interviews. Yeah,
2: and, and I thought it would be interesting for us just to have a brief chat about Iron Fist now, but not so much the show, because we are going to have that um, that bonus episode coming up. I thought it would be interesting to talk about all the stuff that's going on around the show, because it's fair to say that this series has been poorly received. Um, there's no doubt at this point the damage is done in terms, of, in terms of going into the Defenders. There are three characters who have been... Uh, very well liked and one character who hasn't. Um and that could cast a bit of a shadow there. Whether individual listeners are listening to this right now and going, I actually liked Iron Fist or it's not as bad as everyone said, there's no doubt that the vibe around this show and this character is bad. And a lot of what's gone into that is the the conversation around the show over this past couple of weeks. I mean it's been happening ever since Finn Jones was cast. Um but it's just It's just got to a pretty toxic point, hasn't it? Where literally every time someone else opens their mouth about Iron Fist, it seems like something stupid is being said. So what I want to know is, did anyone say anything stupid to your face in New York? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: So I got to interview Finn Jones and Jessica Henwick quite early in the day. Like I was either their first or second interview. Like it was very early. Um... It was, a, it was an odd roundtable, I can say that much. Like, <laughs> I, they they were both clearly aware of the bad reviews and, you know, they were responding to them or attempting to respond to them. Like, I remember... Were they being,
2: were they being asked directly or were they bringing it up?
0: Uh, well, it, for a while it was unmentioned. I think in our roundtable... table Elephant in the room. Well, yeah. But in our roundtable and I think in most... Like, he... Finn Jones was already responding to stuff about bad reviews before yeah. we asked him about it. It, it right yeah it was directly put to him that like the response has not been great and he said what i expected him to say which is that we made this for the fans which as seb said on twitter is a like you know it's a euphemism for fans will watch any old shit so we it don't have to, to insult
3: so many people at once. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah
2: I mean, given given as well that this is made by the same people who made Luke K- Cage, Daredevil, and Jessica Jones, all of which were well-received critically and were presumably made for the exact same audience that Iron Fist was, it, it yeah. doesn't hold much water, does it? I mean, it?
0: the thing is, like, they'd clearly been told to say that. Like, no yeah. one no one comes to that defence by themselves if they think about it.
2: It was some of the other defences that he had that were a little bit dodgy, like so the the i think people don't like this because donald trump it was a was a weird stretch for him to make my character is a white billionaire and so is donald trump and i think people don't want to watch that character right now yeah that's really worked against tony stark hasn't it like, <laughs> i think in the middle of a presidential campaign last year people really stayed away from captain america civil war
0: yeah i think he may have come to that later in the day because there was no hint of that in the interview i did with him mm.
2: um but he did tell you the thing about having 15 minutes to prepare for the fight scenes?
0: Yeah, I don't feel like... Like, that was one of the things where he was clearly... He was responding to criticism that the fight scenes were bad by saying, actually, when you consider we only had 15 minutes to rehearse them before they were shot, it's actually mm. pretty good. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe, but you shouldn't be telling us your production was that
2: tight, surely. Have you have you seen that clip going around the internet? I think it's from episode three where... Um, Danny is having the fight with the guy in the x-ray room. And (sighs) it's a a 34-second clip with 56 edits in it. Yes, I have seen that. (sighs) And you you feel that in every fight.
0: I mean, that's one of my problems with it, is that, like, the fights look worse than all of the other ones, even though he's supposed to be some great martial artist. And, like, no one can throw two punches without there being a cut between them. Mm. Like, it's got zero fluidity or, like style
2: and even when he's just doing kind of the martial arts poses and stuff it looks really unnatural for him
0: he look <laughs> to me he looks like some silicon valley twat like <sighs> yes. who's who's doing his morning yoga in the office and all of his employees are thinking like wow what a dick mm.
2: and i was saying this to you guys off mic i kind of I kind of feel bad for Finn Jones in a way. On a human level, I'm just imagining if it was me and I'd got my first... Like, I know he was in Game of Thrones, but he's a minor character. This is his first big break. He's the lead character in a Marvel TV show. And from the moment he was cast, people were saying, you shouldn't have been cast. And I'm sure that's really frustrating for him. And I'm sure that it's really frustrating for him that... um, before the show has aired people are telling him that it's not bad and that it's it's bad and it's a failure and he's uh, in some way maybe justifiably going no no wait until you see the show the criticisms that you have of this show aren't really there and he said stuff about how the show was going to address white privilege and was going to examine the way that a white guy interacts with asian culture and Unfortunately, from all I've seen of the show so far, it <laughs> doesn't. So that, so I, I kind of felt a bit sorry for Finn Jones because it, yeah, well, it, it must not be a nice situation for him. And I'm sure he thinks he's a pretty right-on guy. I mean, this is I've seen the thing, tweeting like stuff about inclusion again.
0: In in the interviews I did with him, he was talking about how like he champions inclusion and he wants to see it and stuff. And it's kind of like, well,
2: I'm a, and I'm sure, I'm sure he does, and I'm sure he does want to, but it, it, it's. It's, you know, like, I support inclusion as long as it doesn't take away the job from me.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, I can sort of sympathise with that, though, because, like, he's a, you know, ultimately, he didn't write the show or cast it. He's a jobbing actor, yeah. and, you know, if he didn't take that job, another white guy would have, like, they were never going to cast an Asian person. Yeah. So, in that well, sense... Well, well,
2: well, to... well, well, James, well, they almost okay, did. That's the, they... that's the thing that we found out. Mm. They almost did. Did they, though? Well, so, Lewis Tan uh, uh you know, he uh, auditioned for that role, was on hold for that role, and then they decided to go with Finn Jones instead and offered him a one-episode role mid-season. And I think that's the other interesting thing around the conversation with Iron Fist, is there is a fantastic interview with Lewis Tan up at Vulture, where he talks about that, and he talks about his work on the show, and there is no doubt after reading that, that there are hard feelings about <laughs> um, about Finn Jones's casting. And also, if any, anyone who's got to the Lewis Tan episode yet, it's the first fight scene where you're like, whoa, it's not cutting away while that guy's doing stuff. And he, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. And he's got this weird accent going on, but he's doing something uh, very charismatic on the screen in... In the 10 20 minutes he's on that finn jones never approaches and the facts that lewis tan again no one at marvel has stopped him going out and giving this interview where he cast the show in a pretty bad light i think it's it's just a fascinating clusterfuck for marvel yeah i mean and the fact that the defenders is already deep into production um it makes you wonder: Is obviously the negative feedback isn't going to play into that, but do the people making the show know that it hasn't gone
0: as well? Oh, I'm sure they know that. Like you, the thing is, like I think a lot of Finn Jones's reaction ha- is basically it's like on it's that kind of internet thing where if you say to someone this is problematic or whatever, like you know this is racially suspicious, what they hear is you've just called me a racist and they respond like that yeah and so i think he's on the defensive because he thinks people are calling him a racist mm. and what he what's actually happened is he's you know got into a situation that maybe he could have avoided but that he didn't avoid where he looks like the bad guy and he's thinking well i'm not the bad guy like how is this happening i'm on i agree with them to yeah. a certain extent and i think that's what's causing a lot of his dodgy behavior. Hmm. like he's this, tra- he's trying to explain explain his way out of a situation that he isn't especially responsible for.
3: yeah. it's funny because what what you've just described there about about that attitude is you could also you could also be describing um a certain comics writer at marvel um who has been not very successfully dealing with a certain controversy about a certain nazi storyline <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 that,
2: that that i had to unfollow on twitter i I've <laughs> can't, it's, a, it's can't a very good anymore.
0: advice to not follow comics writers on twitter yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i can buy into
3: especially that especially kieran gillen because <laughs> <laughs> um
2: one last point on iron fist um i'm not sure if you guys remember but uh uh You know, so it must have been about eighteen months back now. I think when we were seeing Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, um, and suddenly we heard, "Oh, Luke Cage is actually going to be the next one filming," because originally the plans were for Iron Fist, and they moved up Luke Cage. Um, And the talk was that they were having trouble breaking the character of Danny Rand, and particularly breaking the back half of his series. Um, That's one thing, James. I don't know whether you would agree from what you've seen so far of Iron Fist. That character of Danny Rand doesn't make sense. And while, nope. Finn, while Finn Jones isn't charismatic, can't do the action, isn't particularly interesting, it just feels like he's lost within a character who has no consistency and no clear goals and desires. It's- yeah,
0: like he... The thing I can't understand is how much of Western culture is he supposed to understand? Because it's like... He, you know, in some, some appearances he's like some man child who's going like can you get me some fruit roll-ups and in others he's driving a car like he's fine with Mm -hmm. it and it's like really like my version i was thinking the version of the character should have come back obsessed with new metal thinking that it was still like a thing and he should have got a baseball cap and a soul patch
2: (laughs) there's there is a weird thing where he's got like he's got a very woke ipod um Claire <laughs> temple comments on was like huh you were so i don't know whether there's a reason for that but he yeah he does seem to i mean a lot of the show as well feels kind of derivative of the other shows like there's some the score leans on daredevil-y themes sometimes and uh like like i said the, the music feels more luke cagey than it does um that well then would seem to fit the iron fist character um and yeah, and then the fact that it seems to be like continuing the hand storyline from Daredevil, but has turned them into the foot.
0: <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like the foot were explicitly a parody of the hand. It's not a <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: but that's that's what I mean. They feel like a parody of what oh, okay, they started right, out yeah. as. Like we watched a season one episode of Daredevil where Daredevil spent an entire episode having this brutal, horrible fight with one of these um, hand ninjas. And then by the time we've got to Iron Fist, Claire Temple is taking out a hand ninja within 30 seconds.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the defense for that is one one—one is the master and one's the kids. So they've just pulled off the street and been training. But even in Daredevil, the foot soldiers were a lot uh, deadlier than they are in Iron Fist.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, The Defenders is next. And like I said, we're going to have an Iron Fist bonus episode um, coming soon with um, hopefully some returning guests again. Um, I'm hoping to be slowly assembling our own version of the podcast Defenders. <laughs> uh, we just need an Iron Fist. We just Does anyone want to be our Iron Fist? Pass. I've started reading the Immortal Iron Fist, by the way, as well. That's the one thing that I've picked that, that I have. Yeah, really me too. Actually, me too. Because
0: I, I can't remember. It. I, I definitely owned it. I can't remember if I read it. <laughs> so well, it's
2: all on Marvel Unlimited, and it's it's really good. So maybe I'll be able to talk about that once we get to the mini side as well.
3: Yep. I, th- I think this is did you like not to get into it too much, but there is a point that's worth making about Iron Fist that it's possible to believe that the TV show. Um, in terms of how they've approached the character, can be tone deaf in terms of not acknowledging the problematic elements of his background, while still thinking that the character—it's not—you don't think that the character is unsalvageable. Like you can do a, a white Danny Rand Iron Fist story, mm. because mm. and not you know there have been recent comics and the Brew Baker and Fraction stuff is great comics, um, and you know it's not that like just him being white is a bad idea it's the way that they've approached it and it's the fact that i mean i'm saying this as someone who hasn't watched it as you can probably tell by the fact that i've been so quiet and because it's me um but <laughs> by all accounts there are other reasons why the show is bad yeah. it's not just because
2: of yeah that, there, if you're equally, gonna if
0: you're gonna do <clears throat> white iron fist there are things you could have done which would have mitigated the problems that it's having now and they haven't done them
2: yeah, I mean, look at Doctor Strange. We talked on this podcast quite a bit pre the film coming out about the kind of the the casting of Tilda Swinton and the, the same kind of white guy goes to the East, learns their arts and comes back as good, if not better than them. Um, Doctor Strange on our main podcast, we didn't end up needing to talk about them too much because the film was A, good, and B kind of did look at those ideas a little bit not 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 with any huge depth but they didn't send doctor strange back as immediately the sorcerer supreme or anything like that Mm. whereas danny rand is literally in the show like you said james explaining the rules of the dojo to colleen wing (laughs) a character of asian heritage who runs that dojo
0: yeah
2: yeah um so yeah this is this is um iron fist's fault. Um, but we'll, like I say, we'll we'll do a we'll do a full bonus on that. You can look forward to that, and um, that's it for our very long news section this week. Um, but it's it's been a while because um, obviously, Seb, we had your uh, your very well received bonus episode in last week, and we had and we had Logan as well. Um, so there was a lot of news to catch up on. But we'll move on now. Well, the original recipe for the first time in quite a while (laughs) yeah yeah uh because because the it was like a batman before that as well wasn't it so this is the first time that we're going back into the vaults again um and a nice a nice one to do as we said at the start on our 50th episode um we're going to be talking about rachel talalay's 1995 movie tank girl um so we'll listen to um a bit of audio from tank girl and we'll be back in a second with our discussion of it
1: it's the year 2033. There's no law.
4: No mercy.
2: You're gonna really love this one.
4: And no water.
2: There are three million liters of water underneath the blue dunes, and you will retrieve it. The odds of survival are a 1,000 to
4: 1. And that's just the way she likes it.
1: My, my. Talented, isn't she? Hi! Feeling a little inadequate? She'll be fun to break. I like things. Oh, Lori Petty. Did I hurt you yet? Ice tea. Turn this boat around you're gonna get us off-kill. And Malcolm McDowell. Just how many of my men did you kill? United Artist Pictures presents. Just say, I won. I won.
4: I won.
0: Tank Girl. What's it like knowing you're about to die?
4: You don't
2: Okay, so that was a little bit of Tank Girl. Um, Now, at the start of this year, we were going through our schedule, and we kind of decide what films we're going to do, maybe like four or five episode chunks at a time, and we knew we had Logan coming up, and we had Lego Batman, so we went, let's all pick one film to do, so Seb, you picked Superman 2, I picked Batman Massacre the Phantasm, and James, you picked Tank Girl. Um, Now, this is is obviously the last one that we've got to, um, but... Neither Seb or I had picked Tank Girl before, uh, or had picked Tank Girl before, had seen Tank Girl before. So, for our listeners, but also for me and Seb, why did you want to do Tank Girl now? (laughs) Um, And uh, why are Seb and I uh, such in your bad books for not having seen it until (laughs) the last couple of days? (laughs)
0: Uh, I, like... The reason I wanted to do it was because I have, like, warm nostalgic feelings for the movie, which I sort of watched as a teenager. Like, I think I think when it came out, I was too young to actually see it, and I wanted to. And then, so I caught it on TV and pirated the video and watched it a bunch of times.
2: Given um, the film's original box office, you were one of the few people who did want to see it, because <laughs> it... it, um, it Sorry for this in advance. It tanked at the box office. It made oh. about $6 million.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was not critically well-received and lost a lot of money oh. and sort of didn't do great things for the character. Um, well, the,
2: so I was reading the comic folded kind of shortly afterwards and there was this weird thing about it being kind of a an offbeat character who suddenly became mainstream. And so because it became mainstream, lost its credibility kind of cult, yeah. quirky credibility <laughs> but also didn't attract any enough mainstream people <laughs> to the comic for it to actually gain any kind of bum
0: i mean i think part of it as well was just the bad feeling around the character like once you've got to that point of doing a movie and fucked it up completely like you probably want to step away from it a bit anyway like that's certainly what happened i think alan martin stopped doing tank girl comics for about a decade or something mm. and jamie hewlett stopped for even longer so
2: but the interesting thing about the film is that despite that kind of original uh i guess apathy from audiences it kind of gained a cult following um yeah
0: and <laughs> i mean that's the, something that's the that, fate that i was all, always aware of i mean that's the fate of movies that are bad but in interesting ways isn't it like yeah. they, they get a cult following and I think if I had to describe the reason Tank Girl has a cult following, it's because, like, there's just nothing else like it around. Like it It's, is it's so,
2: absolutely bonkers. Yeah,
0: it's incredibly ambitious, but just with maybe a tenth of the actual budget and work that <laughs> it needed to reach yeah. reach what it was aiming for.
2: Well, the plot is pretty much non-existent. In fact, let's bring in Seb here. Seb, explain to us the plot of Tank Girl.
3: Uh, so it's in a post-apocalyptic Australia where the, the reason the world is post-apocalyptic is because a comet crashed into Earth and basically deprived Earth of most of its water. So water is controlled by a massive corporation run by Malcolm McDowell, Uh, tank girl basically lives a happy existence like in a hippie commune scavenging until and they like the house where she lives has a water like they have a well and it's like one of the few wells that the big corporation doesn't control so the big corporation turn up and uh kill everybody apart from her including her boyfriend uh and she gets captured by them and then she breaks out with a, a, another prisoner that she befriends called Jet Girl. And at some point she steals a tank. Um, although for a film called Tank Girl, there's a surprisingly, she doesn't do a lot of tanking <laughs> in Tank Girl, which surprised me a bit. Um, like she's, she quite likes the tank, but is largely indifferent to it. Um, in terms of actually using it for most of the film, no, it's in it here and there. Anyway, so basically, she then goes on to battle the big corporation with the assistance of some genetically modified kangaroo men hybrids. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's 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 yeah, it's it's kind of like the Punisher meets Mad Max meets Harley Quinn. Is how I would describe. it.
0: Uh, you got the Harley Quinn comparison in very early. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she it's is really impossible
3: like, to watch this now without yeah. thinking that. <laughs> and and like specifically the the modern recent uh, you know New Fifty Two and movie version of Harley Quinn like mm. is basically Tank Girl in like in every sense.
2: Yeah. Um. You you mentioned Malcolm McDowell. Um. Even if you didn't know Malcolm McDowell was in this movie. About a minute before he turned up, you know he was coming because Malcolm McDowell is is in every time this this kind of movie happens. <laughs> like he has to have played that character about thirty or forty it's, it's, times. It's, all, now. it's
3: always either him or Terrence Stamp, isn't
2: it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's doing great work, um, hamming it up. Um, Laurie Petty is Tank Girl, who I guess, like in twenty seventeen, is. Probably best known for *Orange Is the New Black*, Mm -hmm. where she's been doing some really great stuff. I was
0: so happy when she turned up. So happy.
2: Yeah, and and it seems like it's been a little bit of a renaissance for her. I saw that she'd got a role in *Gotham* (laughs) earlier this year, and
3: yeah, well, I mean, she's she's not acting in this though, is she? Like. She She's just literally being Tank Girl and delivering lines of dialogue on a completely different wavelength from everybody else in the film around her. It's like... I mean, I would, I would which not is call sort this of what's an, required, an though, isn't it? No, <laughs> no, but I'm just, you know, you can't judge this by any reasonable standards of, is it a good performance or is she <laughs> acting? Because like that's not what she's doing <laughs> well i mean i i would say it's a good performance
2: because she's enigma she's enigmatic and you you can't take your eyes off her you're like what's she gonna do next but you're <laughs> right i'm not sure how much like acting ability is going into it because she it's not a million miles away from what she's doing on Orange orange's new black but on that show she's playing a character with severe mental issues and is literally kind of existing in her own little world um Tank Girl exists in her own little world here as well. Like, even her closest friend, Jet Girl, played by a very young Naomi Watts, um, they the two of those never seem to, like... Jet Girl never seems to know what's, what to make of Tank Girl, even though she's her best friend. <laughs> um, going through some of the rest of the cast, um, Iggy Pop turns up as a paedophile. <laughs> yeah,
3: in a very which. Very, uh... is mad during the Iggy Pop acting era because it was only a couple of years before this that he was in um, he was a guest character a few times on the adventures of Pete and Pete playing Michelle Trachtenberg's dad (laughs) wow very good
2: (laughs) um and then we have these the, the characters the Rippers who are super soldiers that are like human kangaroo hybrids which is really weird to begin with um One of them's played by Reggie Cathy um, from The Wire, um, and I guess for our interests, the Fantastic Four film from the other year. but then there's one of them played by Ice T and the thing is there is so much there is so much prosthetics on these characters that they're unrecognizable but the minute that the Ice T character opens his mouth you're like oh it's Ice T
3: what I find weird is that one of them is played by Ice T but he's not the main one like no
2: <laughs> yeah
0: he's a side side guy He's just
2: the grumpy one on the side who used to be a cop because it's iced tea, of course he used to be a cop.
3: Like that's, that's I mean, pretty I, much every role he's ever played. I, I don't know if you want to get into them straight away, but like that though that makeup and, and those effects are like the most early to mid nineteen nineties looking Stan Winston work you can imagine. It's like there's something so of its time. About how that makeup looks, how it looks on their faces, and how their ears are animatronic and how they move and stuff. It's just like, um, it just, yeah. It's, I just, it's, it's like we, almost without knowing, you can tell it's Stan Winston's work. And
1: hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's just got
3: such a 90s feel to it. Um, Yeah.
2: And I guess this comes back to one of the things that we... that James was mentioning right at the start about the, the reason that it's pretty cult. Those characters and the relationship that they have with Tank Girl... There's there's something kind of sexual going on there. Um, I've
3: I've been looking after Howard frequently. the Duck. I've been looking forward to you talking about this. After <laughs> your views on this in on, on Howard the Duck. Hey, okay, I'm gonna throw it out there. It's not as
2: sexy as Howard the Duck, <laughs> but I think that's I think the stuff that's going on with these kangaroo hybrids and Tank Girl and. I think that's what to me sums up probably what the appeal of this film is is that it seems so aggressively countercultural everything about it is anti-establishment and Tangirl girl as a character just seems like someone who doesn't give a fuck about anything and that means that she's got a boyfriend at the start but she flirts with Jet girl. And she's attracted to various members of these rippers as well, and just is completely like free of any kind of sexual boundaries. Like, and the in terms of sexuality, the only the only people who get humiliated in this film are full-on paedophile perverts, um, and people who are trying to exploit other people's sexuality. I think it's it's James that must come down to what game this film some cult appeal. I know a lot of people hold it up as kind of like a big, uh, an important kind of feminist film.
0: Yeah. Well, like, especially when you consider the time it was made, like the idea of doing a big budget film with like such feminist central themes, like it's kind of like you didn't see that in Batman and Robin basically. (laughs) And like, you know, it didn't make a lot of money, but they did spend like 25 million on it. So it wasn't like small potatoes or anything. Um, and, again, female director, like...
2: Yeah. Um, Mike Leader pointed this out when he was on our um, on our Logan episode, that is this our first film with a female director? And I think it is, right? There's, there's, <laughs> it, it, only, a, there's only really
3: a few for us to pick from, but... Yeah, I mean, it's it's the first one that we've done, and I've even got a feeling it could be the first comic book-based movie with a female director, full stop. I could be wrong. There may have been it's one. very million, possible, but...
2: Um, I mean, there's not a, there's not an amazing amount
3: that jumped to mind, is there? There's Lexi
2: Alexander with the
3: Punisher Warzone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in fact, yeah, because I've got a feeling that pe- that actually on Twitter, people were talking about Wonder Woman um, in relation to potentially being the first. And then someone said, "Ah, no, but Lexi Alexander did Punisher Warzone. And then I think Lexi Alexander said, well, no, hang on, Rachel Talalay did Tank Girl first. Yeah. So, yeah. I th- but I think there may not be any more than those three.
2: But yeah. Rachel Talalay has a really interesting career. So <laughs> yeah. early on, she's she's a, a producer on Hairspray, um, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street four, and Cry Baby. But I mean, the important thing there, Hairspray and Cry Baby, two John Waters movies, um, and then directs a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, um, then Ghost in the Machine, and then Tank Girl, and then she doesn't direct anything again till two thousand and three, and then like tv movies uh for the next few
4: years
2: (laughs) and then now we see her as a director who is kind of uh she's one of the biggest directors in tv now yeah in tv so she's she's a name she's done a bunch of doctor who yeah not only she's done a bunch
3: of doctor who she has done what is like pos she directed what i would potentially call my favorite ever episode of doctor who and like an episode that is pretty notable for its direction as well it's like it's a fantastically written and fantastically performed episode but it's also incredibly stylish in the direction like you you can tell it's got a name director on it Um, yeah
2: she's done she did a supergirl episode earlier this season she did um, a couple of flash episodes um she did the bad episode from the last series of sherlock (laughs) um but still but I guess she did Sherlock i think i'm not yeah. well and i and i'm not sure that's her fault and you i don't think sherlock is a show that hires directors you know who are not capable of you know mm. i mean and obviously obviously they knew her from doctor who as well but it is a fascinating career i think there's, hang on which, which is the bad episode from last Six
0: series Dutch. of sherlock <laughs> <laughs> Because I uh, liked all of those episodes in varying degrees.
3: I, I, I liked them all to varying degrees, but Six Thatchers was the weakest one. <laughs> um, I do think, I mean, I think with Rachel Talalay, like, it's interesting looking at her career now, because I don't think this film offers much of a hint of the status that she would have now. Like I've got to say that I think she is a much better director now than she was when she made this film.
0: I mean it's debatable um, how like how much of the stuff that's bad in this film is her fault though.
3: Yeah, so it was heavily edited after she shot it. But other than being that and I think it's worth as well, it, like she didn't screenwrite it, but it's not just the case that she was brought in to direct this. She instigated this project. Mm. Yeah, she um, found the comic and Yeah. So I think, you know, she creatively drove a lot of the decisions behind it and decisions in terms of production design and people who came in and and other people who worked on it. So she did drive it. So I think there's probably a lot, and if there's stuff, you know, that you would say positively about this film that I think can be attributed to her. But in terms of just on screen, like the direction and the shooting of what's on screen, it's not that I necessarily think a lot of it's bad. I also don't think she does much to distinguish it in a way that like i say like i've i've watched tv that she's directed in recent years and particularly that doctor who episode where i would have gone oh wow the director's done something great there true i mean i don't really feel that about this i
0: think you're probably right but at the same time like 20 years of career is going to do that to anyone yeah (laughs) like that's the gap we're talking about here
2: yeah, and it, uh, to me, a lot of the the actual kind of like actiony bits of this movie feel m- like generic nineties.
0: It, it, it is 25 very million
2: budget, but yeah. to make to make a movie with this amount of action and stuff, it probably wasn't huge. Um, but like you say, she was she was the creative driver of this, and in terms of some of the subversive stuff that shows up in there. I think probably you know she she probably is you know were, you know deserving of a lot of credit for the weird stuff in here or the like I say the counter the counter cultural stuff that people have latched onto.
4: Mhm.
2: I kind of agree with Seb in that like visually it doesn't it's not really very accomplished but also with some of the stuff that's going on in there, and and I mean, like particularly like the character design and some of the production design of some of the like the the smaller sets that they go into, that's when I think the film becomes interesting, and that's where I think it's it's something that you don't want to take your eyes off. And then occasionally they'll get in a tank and they'll be firing around and you. go, oh God, I'm kind of zoning out a little bit. <laughs> I
0: mean, the aesthetic of the film kind of interested me because I was watching. Like, I've been a few years since I watched it, and I was just. Just watching the whole thing, going like, "This might be the most nineteen nineties thing ever created." <laughs>
3: yeah, it's there, there. There were there were moments when it when it did remind me of things like um, the Nick Fury TV movie, um, <laughs> and as you know, while it's a bit later, like there's there's things about it that reminded me of Punisher as well. What surprised me was how much of it. I think I had a vision based on like marketing materials and stuff of this film looking like. Mad Max and I mean the recent Mad Max in terms of it all being in brightly colored deserts um and it turns out that there's there's I think one scene set in a brightly colored desert that's basically a music video with her when the tank first emerges there's a couple of outdoor scenes at night in a in a desert and the rest of it takes place in grey, metal, small interiors, which is obviously a budgetary thing. But I was surprised at just how much of this film took place in small, claustrophobic environments rather than big, expansive Australian deserts. But yet those claustrophobic environments very rarely being the tank. Yeah, exactly. I
2: thought it was really interesting, though, because, I mean, you're right, lots of claustrophobic, grey, metal environments but i thought they did interesting stuff with making those places looking interesting i mean like just the the house that they're all hanging out with in the start um and i saw that Catherine hardwick was the production Mm. designer here um who again i think if we're if we're talking about kind of like female directors and feminism in hollywood is such an interesting case that she she kind of made her name worked her way up Got to direct the first twilight movie and then the franchise kind of got ripped out of their hands um you know just just another interesting look at another woman in hollywood but um i thought it was it it was it was fun to see her name pop up here and i think she does she did some really good work in terms of making some of it some of it look interesting um despite the kind of obviously the soundstage settings
0: yeah, it, it's got that kind of over-designed feeling where they've like they've taken a set and filled it with just every prop they can find. And like, I yeah, and the, I like that kind of aggressive aesthetic.
2: It fits with the character, doesn't it? Because it yeah, feels like yeah. Tank Tank Girl costume-wise is like just like <laughs> it's like, pick it like where it's, where did they the get their
0: clothes from? <laughs> <laughs> the like, she, Scavengers. she changes into
3: a fresh clean t-shirt about 12 times during that film I like, and Jet Girl gets changed fairly regularly as well it's I, like, where are they getting these clothes from
0: I like the scene where they introduce the tank where she's wearing two different costumes like literally between <laughs> shots like they cut back and forth between two like, it's amazing
3: I, um, I, think, I think it's justifiable because I mean we made the Harley Quinn comparison before but like She is a cartoon character in this film. She's basically Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck. Mm -hmm. Like she exists completely outside of any rational or reasonable rules of or laws of physics or anything. Like, um, yeah, you know, she's a, a, a cartoon character sitting kind of on the surface of this film. That's kind of everyone else around her is sort of trying to get on with a fairly humdrum post-apocalyptic fascism plot Um, (laughs) and she's just in the middle of it as a force of nature it it does lead to some stuff that's pretty
2: like tonally jarring at times like so there's the scene where the the power and water people attack right at the start and it kind of cuts between outside where this soldier turns up and catches tank girl kind of customizing her outfit and again there's some kind of weird <coughs> seduction y stuff going on there until Tank Girl shoots him in the balls and rips off the um rips off the um the grenades so they explode and kill him. And it's kind of played like slapstick comedy the way that this guy dies. <laughs> but it's cutting between the house where like
1: her boyfriend and murdered. all her friends have
2: been, yeah, like brutally gunned down and the ten year old girl who she looks after has been kidnapped is <laughs>
3: that that, um, c- that scene with everybody in the house being murdered though is, is I think maybe the earliest example in the film of something major happens but we don't see it because they didn't have the budget and in that instance it's just that it's happening indoors while Tank Girl is outside but then in the rest of the film you get oh we couldn't afford to shoot this so here's a little cartoon by Jamie Hewlett
2: yeah there's, there's a lot of cartoons popping up um, which
3: actually really liked and i love them working over the opening credits (laughs) um i i I like it as kind of an aesthetic choice for a film like this my problem with it was that it kind of happens quite early on and then It doesn't happen at a consistent rate throughout the film. If it was like between, you know, every three or four scenes, you get a little interstitial with animated tank girl doing something or saying something, it would feel like a consistent thing. But because it happens a bit and then it doesn't happen for half an hour and then it happens a load of times and then it happens for literally the closing moment of the big climactic (laughs) closing moment of the film, you're like, oh, you're just doing these because you didn't shoot the big expensive (laughs)
2: scenes. I think it might be two things. I think it might be that they didn't film some stuff and it also might have been to mask these studio edits.
0: Yeah, yeah, Um, definitely. Because there
2: was one thing I saw in particular that the the ending of the film was meant to be something different um, and that, you know, obviously it finishes with the cartoon stuff. So I do wonder whether it's maybe a bit of a patchwork job. And that they maybe used mm. some of the animation that they were going to use elsewhere, and kind of used it to keep the thing together, almost. Um, but I mean, I did, I did really like the design of some of that, and I actually thought that because sometimes the the like tank girl character is on screen animated whilst we're still hearing Laurie Petty's voice, um, mm. and I just thought. I thought, oh, I would watch the animated version of this. I would watch Laurie Petty voicing, yeah. I mean that, that character for like an entire movie. That
0: middle, that first anim- like the actually animated sequence at the, uh, the sort of midpoint. Is it, like yeah. that? The one because there are a lot of which are just stills being sort of panned across the screen, mm. and cut between to give the impression of animation. And then there's some actually animated stuff, and you you kind of yeah. watch that going actually there's a really good animated film to be made here like it's it reminds me of an anime called dead leaves which i mean as a reference point that's pretty obscure but it's kind of got the same frenetic weird energy and for that Mm. to come out of a western uh studio in the mid 90s like it's kind of impressive in a way because normally western animation is a lot more traditional and not as uh, not as energetic or interesting as like Japanese animation.
2: Yeah, um, I mean the, the the opening sequence I think really sets the tone. We kind of like the punk rock soundtrack in the back and seeing <laughs> the com- the comics version of Tank Girl. And I, I think the the reference point that it, it immediately came to my mind, James, um, was um, was it Kill Your Boyfriend? The <laughs> grand <laughs> monster comic. You should say
0: because <laughs> me, oh, really? me and Seb had a discussion earlier today about what comics to recommend and we both thought of recommending kill your boyfriend except for the fact we'd already recommended it and <laughs> also, Seb, seb's got a one line about this that i'm going to make him say now <laughs>
3: um, that i've always thought that philip bond was a better Jamie Hewlett but actually to be fair Philip Bond and Jamie Hewlett were friends like at art college together and so they came up through comics at the same time and that's why their styles are so similar like there are bits of, of the, the the cartoony bits in this film that I thought were Philip Bond they look so much like him rather than Jamie Hewlett um, but I just I do just think Philip Bond is a better comics artist than Jamie Hewlett because he spent longer actually doing comics and storytelling with them and stuff um, but uh, hang on did we make clear at the start There that philip bond is the artist of kill your boyfriend that's why i think it was i think it was implied (laughs) yeah um but it yeah it would have been a very appropriate recommendation for this so actually anyone listening who didn't read kill your boyfriend back when we recommended it for i can't remember what we recommended it for um good question no it wouldn't have been kick-ass would it um anyway anyone who hasn't read it by now read kill your boyfriend I remember at
2: the time reading that and not really. I mean, similar to this film, not really loving it, but um, finding some of the, like I said, the counterculture stuff in there very interesting. And yeah, I would say that's that's a similar thing with Tank Girl. That I think there's a there's a lot there's there's fun little things in there. And I kind of I think the I like the vibe of the movie. I like the I like the feel of the movie more than I actually cared about it while I was watching because like you say I mean Tank Girl's a cartoon we we kind of know where this is going because it sets up it sets up basically Tank Girl is going to go and save the 10-year-old girl from from the start of the movie and she's got Jet Girl and there's also kind of a, a revenge plot in there with Malcolm McDowell's character we kind of know how it's all going to play out it's just a case of uh, enjoying the nuttiness while it's on screen um but i did think james this might be a good a good point to actually bring in the actual comics and and how much of <laughs> the tank girl on screen is similar to to the comics uh, especially back then and whether tank girl is any different now because it's back it's back in print now is
0: that right <laughs> Well, I mean, it was always in print. It was. Uh, there, just was that, well, they, yeah, there was be, a long gap when nothing new again. was being mm-hmm. done, and yeah. uh, Jamie Hewlett wasn't involved, and then he came back, and I think they've kind of. Him and Alan Martin, who's the writer, did one last project together um, before he went off back to Gorillas, which is the other thing he's been spending his time on. Uh, mm. And so, yeah, like the original comics, they were sort of very short. Sort of almost narrativeless, like anarchic, sort of three or four page things, maybe in a magazine called Deadline, which in in the UK '90s comic scene is kind of an important uh, publication. But like also, you say, it disappeared. It's. Okay. I was
3: just gonna say, sadly, it's, it, it's two founders both died in the last couple of years. Yeah, they were founded yeah. by Brett Ewins and Steve Dillon, <laughs> which is, it was a quite a sad chain of events.
0: Yeah, but it was it was kind of. Uh, I mean, it was linked with all the like '90s sort of Brit culture movements. Like yeah, it was tied it was, up with Brit quite, pop and stuff.
3: Yeah, it was, yeah it, was, it was. It was a real sort of like music, and it was like it was one of the examples of like music aesthetic making, like, and particularly like indie music aesthetic making its way into comics. Yeah, it was a. It's probably the the closest thing that british comics has had to anything resembling like the us underground comics with an x movement Mm -hmm. but a bit more short-lived and probably a bit less politically significant to be honest Um,
0: but artistically quite significant like a lot of big Mm. a a lot of big name british creators went through deadline and it's various Mm -hmm. imitators but i mean so yeah like the the comics were in deadline they were basically comedic shorts with no real narrative um and like vulgar humor. Like, if anything, like the movie is quite full on in how sort of, you know, it pushes the boundaries of like sexual humor or whatever. Yeah. But the the comics were like outright vulgar. Like, there was no, there was no like feminist agenda in them that might yeah, support I was saying, that kind of.
2: When I was flicking through Amazon, because this film's on Amazon <clears throat> Prime in the UK, um, when i searched for it i saw that one of the more recent collections of tank girl is called two
3: girls one tank so (laughs) is that is that kind of on the same lines yeah well i I think the the, the thing with tank girl is that it's it has always kind of struck me as a very male idea of what a cool strong female character could be like (laughs) And I actually think it's kind of in the film's favour that it's it's you know I mean the screenwriter is a bloke but otherwise it is a creatively female driven film. Yeah, and that that
2: that vibe doesn't come across in the film. It definitely, you know, because I mean you you mentioned Mad Max and the the you know Furiosa was a character that came to mind during this, but I think Furiosa even has hints of yes, this is this is the Ripley style of female action hero that a man has come up with. Um there's something a little bit different about about Tank Girl to all of the rest of these like feminist uh female action heroes. You know, she's she's not really she's not being pure badass all the time. She's just kind of she's just doing her, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean.
0: In the um, certainly in the movie, yeah.
2: Yes, yeah, in the movie. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like they, I think the comics are a bit more like Seb says, like they're kind of guys imagining what their perfect woman would be like (laughs) than rather than portraying a female character
2: i because i I kept reading as well when i was when i was searching around reading you know reading about the film um i kept reading tank girl being described as an anti-hero and that's not really a vibe i got from the film because i mean she's wronged she goes out to save a young girl like there's there's, there's mm. not much about her that seemed anti to no, me.
4: Yeah, so
3: because like, she's not. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, she's fighting evil fascists, and like I think yeah. the only person she kills in the film is probably McDowell at the very end,
0: uh, and the guy she blows up.
3: Oh yeah, she blows up <laughs> and, and yeah. she snaps the fair, guy's
0: she... neck. Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, yeah, but you know, again, I think you know she she blows up a bloke who was, for all intents and purposes, pretty ready to force himself on her at that point. Yeah. So you know. You said about the, the sexual stuff in the in the comic
2: and it, the vulgarity. The film kind of, it really does, it toes the line with that kind of stuff. So, like, that guy that she's going to kill, there's the joke about whether he wants to have his oil changed and then she's going to give him head, but then makes one of I think one of about four or five jokes in the film about someone having a tiny penis <laughs> like that's that's definitely a, re- a recurring thread like even the even the little girl makes fun of the little boy at the start of the movie for having a tiny pecker like it just <laughs> that stuff keeps coming up um and like again with the with the pedophile in the middle
0: with the y- y- I mean that's, that's a bit like 90s right girl feminism though isn't it yeah. Like, it's something that probably wouldn't have been in the film if it was made now. Yeah.
2: But it's... I, I, I just thought it was interesting that it kind of... It it pressed up against sex pretty regularly. And Tank Girl uses her sexuality pretty regularly. But, like, not not in a, like... Not in an exploitative way. In not a, in, in, a, not in a way
0: that tantalises the viewers of the film
2: no it's to, it's to undercut the people that she is mm. facing in any given scene um like i think even the scene when she makes out with naomi watts she's covered in all that dust and stuff at the time and it's not
3: <laughs> just before that you've had what i think was a you know one of a few examples of of subverting that kind of thing where you have what in any in most other films would be the scene where the female character is in prison and you have a shower scene but because it's in a world where there's where water is a limited resource yes. it's it's, it's a, a, a what do they call it delousing chamber <laughs> instead and it kind of it plays the music and has her kind of standing there but it's this like horrible white powder all over her that's <laughs> sure. that's one of those moments where you think oh, okay this film is is you know actually trying to do something a bit mm. a bit clever and a bit interesting it's a shame that I'm not sure there are enough of those, but those are the moments where it was... I I described it to you guys beforehand as, like, there were moments where it kind of really charmed me and then moments where it just, you know, was a bit cack and and put me off, and that was definitely one of the moments where it charmed me. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But do you know what I mean about that? Like you said, all that sexual stuff that's there, and even when the cartoons pop up, I'm pretty sure occasionally we get, like, fully nude characters in the cartoony bits... Um, But the film keeps that at a distance. Um, It doesn't, you know, like every every time the Tank Girl character is doing something kind of seductive or whatever, um, it doesn't get to the point where we're going to get like an obligatory boob shot that even Logan gave us a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Um, And I kind of, I I really respected that. And one of my favourite scenes in the movie was when they get to that club in the middle, the kind of the big whorehouse Mm. basically, and they walk into that room, and it's like, "Here's a machine that's going to turn you into the um, the kind of standardized ideal of what will be attractive." Here is a razor to remove all your body hair. See, it's coming, it's all coming around, guys. <laughs> um, and here are the clothes you're going to wear. And I just love that she she like like has cartoonish faces in reaction to every everything that comes out of that machine, and every and then just kind of like customizes <laughs> off, yeah. her own trying on outfits out like there? a
0: child. <laughs>
2: Um, I was just I was reading on the Wikipedia page about some of the stuff that was edited out of the film Um, so there was going to be a naked ripper suit which incorporated a prosthetic penis (laughs) um, and was used in a filmed post-coital scene which was removed from the final version of the film which suggests that maybe Tank Girl did sleep with one of the rippers.
3: Well, yeah, um, do, you, do you know about what was included in the theatrical version but not the re-releases? Oh, no. Tell me, tell uh, me about it. Okay, this. so so that, that scene exists. I don't know if it's a post-credits, probably not a post-credits because it's 1995, but um, at, at the end there is a scene that was shot that is essentially a post-coital scene between them, but he's got clothes on. Right. Uh, it's on YouTube, but basically it was in the theatrical release but wasn't on any of the home releases since and it is between Tank Girl and one of the Rippers. It's between Tank Girl and, and Booger is his name because <laughs> yeah. he's in the comics. He's her boyfriend anyway. Um, oh so, right! Yeah, it's between her and and him. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really interesting. I didn't know that, but I did. I did think it was. It was interesting when we, when I was watching the way it kept like. It kept hinting at potential like interspecies romance and not quite going there, but kind of giving you an impression that all of the characters would. Um, so, <laughs> um, But yeah, so the, the other stuff that was cut out of the film, um, apparently, th- th- I mean, this seems insane. There was a scene in which Tank Girl was t- uh, tortured that was cut heavily on the grounds that she appeared too ugly while being tortured. Um, There was another scene where we visited Tank Girl's bedroom, which was shown to be decorated with dozens of dildos. Um, (laughs) And a scene in which she placed a condom on a banana before throwing it at a soldier. Um, (laughs) Someone out there needs to be tracking down all this stuff. And rather than removing stuff from the re-released version, because honestly, it's 20 years on from the film being released. let's Let's just... edit everything back in an uncut version of tank girl i think is what the world deserves well, right now.
0: when the criterion edition is made i think <laughs> they might go for that
2: <laughs> i would buy the criterion of that.
0: <laughs> i mean i think time has been kind kind to it like i think it was definitely ahead of its time
3: yeah yeah I think it is kind of yeah you know, because there is, there is stuff that's and we've not really I think probably because it's not it's not an unlikable film, so I think even the stuff that doesn't really work is not really stuff you'd want to give it a kick in for. but I think the stuff that doesn't work is stuff that would be more likely to have stood out as not working when it came out. But now you can look at the stuff that that feels that bit more ahead of its time and feels that bit more interesting and and appreciate that side of it. Like it's another one where you know we 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 do seem to develop these these pet films on on the podcast. And I wouldn't quite put it in the category of of The Punisher in terms of that level, but it's it's not similar in terms of being a film that's not objectively very good, but that actually I did kind of quite like. I think there was more that I disliked in it than there is in punisher but uh, i'm de- I I definitely th- i do think i'll <laughs> well i know you love it anyway yeah but <laughs> i just think i think there are times when the lack of budget and there's some kind of sloppy editing and stuff which i know isn't necessarily Tanale's fault it's more likely studio interference but studio interference you know is still a negative thing in a film um there's just times when it doesn't really hang together, and I think a lot of the stuff with the Rippers is really bad, because I think <laughs> I think those are the bits where it goes a little too far into, um, we're being kind of you know these are sort of you know puppety characters that you might expect to see in a Jim Henson film, but we're being kind of adult and and edgy with them, and actually those are the bits that probably while while the character designs don't look anything like what how they're supposed to in the comic. Um, those are the bits that feel more like they have the tone of the comic um, and yeah a lot of that stuff doesn't work and I find the, the romance thing awkward not really because it's an interspecies thing but because like he's like uh, uh, you know kind of a, a dullard and like you know he's he's the one who's converted from a dog and so it's like <laughs> he's kind of not very intelligent I'm trying to find a nice way to say this that um you know it's a yeah that that element of it is what I found uncomfortable <laughs> I'll
2: tell you what i I'll tell you what i've i've I found odd about the rippers the the stuff about them, yeah, so there's that character who has been reincarnated from a dog.
3: why is one of them Jack Kerouac? what was <laughs> what, was, no, but what was it's, going on there yeah i i I wasn't clear it sounded like at one point they were kind of making a joke. That like oh it's like he's the reincarnation of Jack Kerouac, but then they all start talking about who they are, who they actually were before the genetic yeah. modification. It's like oh does, so was he actually Jack? <laughs> I, I think he was. It's
2: it's weird. I also, I mean, I, I haven't looked on IMDb to check about all of the actors under the makeup, but it, it did seem a little bit strange to me that the only black characters in the film were these rippers um i'm not sure whether that was a point that the film was trying to make or something um and again i couldn't tell like whether the australia setting was supposed to be specific enough to be making some kind of whether it was whether it was important enough that like there was me- meant to be some parallel with these being like maybe aboriginal people <laughs> you know who were like being ostracized from the
3: rest of society or whatever but
2: the That's Australian it. I think
3: is weird, just because obviously you know it's in Australia because the original comic's set in Australia. But why do they go to the trouble of having one character be Australian and nobody <laughs> else? Why is not What's the only Australian? There was another
2: Australian accent that I heard earlier on. Um, mm. Just because I was like, where is the there an Australian character actually here? Um, but yeah, it's weird as well, isn't it? That it's a British comic and your main characters American, <laughs> but you've got her Australian best friend um and you know i'm i'm assuming that there was nothing about this that was a british production in terms of the actual film other than the original fa- you know the original source material mm. it it doesn't have a british film vibe um in terms of the production it but it does kind yeah. of have that british like punk rock sensibility to it i would mm. i would suggest um yeah there's 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 stuff in there that i would I guess I'd like to hear people involved with the film talk about a little bit more because it doesn't all fully coalesce um, there in is, the same way that there's some, a, of the, some of the feminist stuff does. There's
0: a Blu-ray with a commentary that I've Ooh. not heard, but that I think I'm going to seek out now. It's not it's mm. not out in the UK, unfortunately. So that's a hurdle that's to a get shame. over. But I'm, I'm going to look I it up. I do
2: have an American Blu-ray player, James. Yeah,
0: maybe I do as well. <laughs> it... I find it kind of interesting that her boyfriend gets completely like fridged in this.
3: I I I like that because um, I I it concerned me that well not concerned as such but that, that you were going to be doing the sort of the the revenge story and basically that what was going to drive her to to be tank girl was oh no my boyfriend got killed. <laughs> especially when she says right at the very start it's my boyfriend's yeah. birthday <laughs> and actually like. Pretty much as soon as he's dead, that's not what she cares about. What yeah. she cares, you know, <laughs> she she, she's care. annoyed at them for kidnapping her and for kidnapping the little girl. Like she like he doesn't warrant a mention for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, <laughs> that scene was fun as well though, wasn't it? Like the the one scene with the boyfriend at the start where yeah. they're kind of role playing and she's making him well, she's making him undress. <laughs> I just loved it when she broke character at the end.
0: <laughs> but yeah, like I I think it's kind of interesting, like, as a man to watch the film and it's like, that's how Bond girls are treated. Mm. Like, they yeah. they show up, be beautiful for one scene, then they die and maybe they get mentioned once later. Yeah. And it's like, you can sort of see why. how if that was happening in every film it would wear you down. Yeah. But, like, again, for them to be reversing that the, those roles as early as the 90s, you know, it's kind of quite sharp. Mm. Well, it's
2: one I'm of those gonna... things, though. It, you can and you can draw the parallels with a film like Blade, can't you? Where you're like, here is this example of this comic book movie from from the '90s that is doing this thing that was obviously quite progressive at the time, and the next film to do that was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's not there's there's not many follow-ups, is there? I I I can't think of anything off the top of my head that we have got like on our spreadsheet of films that we can potentially cover. That has anything like the feminist agenda that this film does.
0: Mm. I mean, I, you would I, hope I... Wonder Woman gets to it. You would hope, yeah. But yeah, nothing, nothing we've got under our remit certainly comes close. Um,
3: one of the things, uh, one of the things that I do like actually, because we haven't really talked much uh, about Jet Girl, um, who is, is like more of a kind of significant character in this that I would have anticipated going in um and also like you know i didn't see this film as a teenager but if i had done i probably would have spent like the last 20 years nursing a severe crush on that character um but like
0: just want to say yep
3: but but what i like is like it would be really easy for the film to present kind of you know like tank girl as the way to be a a cool heroic character in this film and i like that jet girl spends the entire film resolutely refusing to become anything like her Mm. um like it, it it would be more obvious, like, she meets Tank Girl and sort of becomes Tank Girl's sidekick and becomes like Tank Girl, but she doesn't, actually. Um, maybe, like, a little bit at the end. I mean, yeah, she shoots I, the guy, I always otherwise... thought that
0: that ending scene where she does shoot the guy is kind of... Like, it's a whole character transformation for the sake of one scene, and it comes mm. a bit too quickly and a bit too
2: easily. And they change her visually as well, don't they? They get yeah. of the glasses and mm. the hair comes mm-hmm. down and... yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a weird moment, but I think you're, I think generally, Seb, you are right that she she kind of just does her own thing the whole way through. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I mean, and I think that's probably you know kind of true of most most of the characters here. They no, there's no there's no one really learning or going through any arcs or whatever. They're just being themselves and encountering situations and dealing with those situations and moving on um it doesn't make for the most compelling plot and it doesn't make for the most interesting <laughs> scripts in the world but but i think this is a film that is worth watching for the moments the sporadic moments the scenes or like i say the little bits of
0: subversiveness that
2: pop up here and there and
0: i mean i'm trying to think what its closest modern compa- modern like comparison would be and i keep thinking
2: nothing like... nothing that's been made by hollywood studios certainly
0: yeah i mean the only the only thing I ever came back to was she's a bit like Harley Quinn, so it's probably if you like Suicide Squad, go and watch Tank Girl. And I mean, the think is, if... <laughs> if you like if you like Suicide Squad, you demonstrably don't care about things like plot anyway. So
2: <laughs> she, I mean, she has. I think mean, she like Harley Quinn has the quirks of Tank Girl, um, but Tank Girl doesn't have the baggage of being, you mm. know.
0: Damaged in that
2: way. So well so tied in and damaged with regards to the Joker. You know, she doesn't have that male character who kind of is defining her arc Tank girl is just literally going out and doing doing whatever she wants. I loved her little giggles after the after like after any time she kind of defeated Malcolm McDowell, she'd just do a little (laughs) laugh about it. Or she'd she'd chuckle at the thing that she just said. Um is there anything else you guys want to bring up or um should we move on?
0: I just want to say the soundtrack is excellent.
2: Oh,
3: yes, absolutely.
2: <laughs> like
0: it again, it it's kind of a 90s riot girl mixtape. well you presumably awesome know who well. put
3: the soundtrack together. James. Yeah,
0: it was Courtney Love. <laughs>
3: Um, I, and we actually, we didn't talk about. I thought you were going to talk about it when you got onto the the scene at the club, but the um, the Cole Porter scene in the middle, which is one of those <laughs> oh things that God, you know, looks like it could go in one direction and actually turns into a delightfully ridiculous set piece.
2: Um, yeah, I was really sceptical when that scene started. And like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like she's like, oh, sing in front of these people, and I was like. I don't know. We've only just met this character. I'm not really interested in like just watching her be humiliated for two minutes and then moving on. But you're right; it completely pivots, doesn't it? When like all the other damn all the well all the other hookers basically start joining in with the song, and then Laurie Betty takes over it in the middle. It's absolutely wonderful. You're right. I don't know how we hadn't got to that yet because that, <laughs> that was probably like that that whole sequence at the club from start to finish was probably my favorite part of the film.
0: I mean, that, yeah, I mean, it's probably certainly in terms of doing everything that it needs to. That's the one mm. where it's like two minutes of utter total success.
3: Yeah, it's, mm. it's the bit where you can see the film actually succeeding at what it's trying to do rather than almost succeeding at what <laughs> it's trying to do.
0: But yeah, it's kind of it's a weird trope, isn't it? That it used to happen and doesn't where films just sort of break a music video in the middle.
3: Mm. Like, which this film does with the bit with the tank, which I think is much less successful. Yeah,
0: I'm trying to think of the last time I saw. Like, I feel like it happened a lot in the eighties and nineties, and I haven't seen it since. Dude, where's my car?
2: <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just looking at the soundtrack list here. I love, I do love that it ends with Ice Tea. Like, <laughs> fine, like I, yeah. you're in the movie. Are you sure? Are you I'm, sure it's in your it's contracts? Same. Have you checked? Have we checked the fine print? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm fairly like sure Courtney got, got, um, Love didn't choose that one.
3: Yeah, it's got Army of Me by York, and like it was the Army was supposed to be like the tie-in song and video, so the video would have had scenes from Tank Girl in it. But then <laughs> the film flopped, so they didn't do a video based around Tank Girl. But doesn't the Army of Me video actually have a tank in it? Am I remembering that wrongly? Um
0: possibly. Like the problem is I most associate Army of Me with Sucker Punch now, so <laughs> uh
3: no it is, it's a Michelle Gondry video and Bjork is driving a tanker truck, so it's not a tank as such, but um mm. yeah, I just like the idea that yeah, the, you know, it there should have been if this film had been a hit or had they expected it to be a hit, there should have been um <laughs> a tank girl themed music video, but that didn't happen because it was a flop. <laughs> but the the song itself was a massive hit. <laughs>
2: I I miss that as well. About I mean, we don't get as we don't get like the constant music video channels anymore. But I do miss the you know the occasional um, the occasional music video of the song that we get we went on to become a much bigger hit than the movie. <laughs> you just have is <laughs> is it, um, is it um, Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls that has yes, like lots of the Nick Cage it's City of the Angels. Angels. Film <laughs> in I mean that record
3: is one of, probably up there in my most hated records of all time but
2: yeah <laughs> uh, but it's it's hugely hugely successful yeah. and yet every time that video rolls back around oh,
3: you I... see clips of nick cage and McRae. i can't wait till we get onto batman forever and we could talk about pretty much the only u2 song i've ever liked <laughs> <laughs> um okay
2: well that was tank girl then so um I think I think we all liked it to uh, to varying degrees. I think it I think it might be in the running for some awards come the end of the year.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Um but now we'll move on uh to our recommendation section. So um you guys, it's not gonna be kill your boyfriend. Um although listeners, if you haven't read that, that's your homework. Um but Seb, what comic are you recommended
3: recommending me based on Tank Girl? so this was a tricky one for me because um, I don't really know the original comics at all and as we've already discussed like it's not really like anything else Um, so I'm going to recommend you something that it's I wouldn't say it's like this but this is a sci-fi comic about um, a female lead character that is quite notable for that female lead character going on to become quite iconic in comics uh, and it's the Ballad of Halo Jones by Alan Moore and Ian Gibson um which is from two thousand eight d from the early eighties um it's um i I'm not sure yet how much to actually get you to read um we'll probably talk about this on emails afterwards uh, because there are three books um but the third book um wasn't actually completed um and then the three the so the three chapters are kind of all collected in in one um you know book form um but you depending on time, you may not get as far as as reading the incomplete book three, but I think at least books one and two you should probably read. And it's just, it's basically um, it's about a girl who lives in a futuristic society and there's kind of, there's stuff going on, like there's sort of, you know there's what would be in most stories, the big storyline kind of going on around her but it's just kind of about her being a Quite ordinary um it's hard to describe it's sort of yeah it's it's really unusual tonally it's just there's not like tank girl there's not very much like it and it's not very like tank girl in most ways but in another sense (laughs) they're kind of part of the same comics family as it were so um yeah Yeah, interested to see what you make of it it's a yeah pace and tone wise i think it'll be very unlike anything we've had you read so far
2: right okay that sounds interesting i don't think i've read i don't think you've recommended me much 2000 ad full stop have you so
3: no need to find an excuse to get to read strontium dog there's no strontium dog movie but we shall see
2: um Okay, James, what are you
0: recommending me? Uh, I'm in two minds as to which I should go with... I think I'm going to say 21st Century Tank Girl, which it's not the most recent comic. It's from 2015, but it's the one where Alan Martin teamed up with uh, lots of artists, including Jamie Hewlett returning to the character for the first time in 20 years. Um, it's also got some other names you'll know. It's got Jim Marford in there. It's got Philip Bond in there. Um, um, it's only, a, it's a three issue series basically where they, you know, do a sort of celebration of Tank Girl. It was originally a Kickstarter funded thing actually. Um, okay. So Alan Martin last wrote Tank Girl in sort of the mid nineties, uh, and basically stopped until 2007. Uh, and since then Tank Girl has been pretty consistently published. But again, I would, what I would say is most of it has not been that good like i love the film but i have very little time for the comics uh and the only reason i own 21st century tank girl is because i backed the kickstarter to get a t-shirt so
2: (laughs) but it's only three issues so if i hate it it'll be over that yeah
0: i mean if nothing else it's (laughs) interesting it's what i would say is it's representative of tank girl certainly for the past 10 years and you know jamie hewlett being in there gives you some indication of what it was like when it started as well the thing is, like, the original comics are very unsatisfying reads because, like those Nick Fury comics you read, they were designed to be read as short standalone pieces, not in one giant chunk. Like, so yeah. so when you try and read all of Tank Girl in one go as a collection, it just becomes overwhelming and disjointed and it's not, like, there's no real value in it. So, yeah. that That's why I okay. went for the newer stuff rather than the early stuff.
2: Right, so Tank Girl and Halo Jones is my homework over the next week. Um, I guess it depends how quick we get to Iron Fist. It might be a mini-sode next week. It might be a bonus episode. Um, we'll see how fast I can work through the rest of these Iron Fists and uh, and assemble our pod defenders. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> some good some good reading for me to be getting on with. Um, but we'll move on to our final section now, which is the pitch. Um And this is a pretty open-ended one for you guys. I just want to know, how would you make a Tank Girl movie in 2017? (laughs) So, it's entirely up to you whether you'd want to reboot it, whether you'd want to come back with a delayed sequel. Um, But just, you know, what would be the vibe of the film? Who would you have making it? Who would you have starring in it? That kind of stuff. Um... This is one of these pitches where I have already had thoughts. So <laughs> you're going to be going up against me as well. Um, James, I'll come to you first.
0: <laughs> I mean, you've already sort of pre-saged my suggestion, which is that the like the only way I can imagine doing another Tank Girl film to make it worthwhile, unless you go the animated route, which is a whole whole different thing, is to... Yeah. Uh, bring back Rachel Tallale and Laurie Petty as they are yeah. like now and let them do a sequel to the original
2: yeah I I I mean I like that an awful lot
0: <laughs> just if nothing else like if you they made they made a film that was clearly a feminist movie and the most feminist follow-up to that would be to put them you know give them the same remit but having aged 20 years and not have that be a problem
2: yeah yeah I do really and and I mean so so many of this cast you you, I mean you could bring back Naomi Watts you could bring back Malcolm McDowell you could bring back ice tea bring back ice tea (laughs) (laughs) let's not bring back ice tea but everyone else um sure let's do it I don't know I don't know if that young girl grew up to be an actress but maybe she can she can come back as well Mm -hmm. I mean yeah I, i (laughs)
0: <laughs> Iggy Pop they're all still going
2: <laughs> um, yeah I do very much like that Seb are you going down the same route or do you have something completely different I can't
3: see how you can possibly ever let James win a pitch where all he has said is where he's not Do literally not come up with a single <laughs> original idea, but just literally <laughs> get everything that still existed. Um, I did have one of those elements, which is I, I see no reason for it not to be Rachel Talalay again. It's like, you know, let her have a proper crack at it with a proper budget and with the reputation and the skill that she has now. Um, but I did go down the recasting route. I actually had two possible suggestions for the lead um taking it in quite different directions and one of them was one that I thought if James was going if James had bothered to think about recasting <laughs> it for 30 seconds that I would have assumed would have been his obvious choice um which was Mackenzie davis
0: um, <laughs> Ooh, I'd, uh, yeah. I'd watch that film well i, I assumed yeah, I like you that. would
3: i assumed you would choose that film um although my 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 initial thought and i think this is probably still just edges out as my first pick is kate mckinnon because okay. I think nah, you know, she, pass. yeah, but come on, she she has turned in multiple performances that are essentially like her being like Tank Girl, um, like she she is that same ridiculous force of nature. Um, but if you prefer Mackenzie Davis, let's go with Mackenzie Davis. Um, I'd also thought potentially uh, Emily Browning for Jet Girl because she's Australian, <laughs> um, and um, Chris Hemsworth for Booger.
2: you just you're you're kind of i I feel like you're kind of sneaky towards a backdoor ghostbusters (laughs) i was
0: gonna say like why didn't you just get the whole cast of ghostbusters
3: well no but if we say it's mackenzie davis then that's not so
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna say i i I think i prefer mackenzie davis to kate mckinnon just because kate mckinnon feels a little bit too close to laurie petty like yeah. it feels almost a bit you know a bit too much on the nose um, also
3: she, I think she's closer age wise so if you cast her there's no good reason not to have Laurie Petty whereas Mackenzie Davis would be a full on reboot yeah I feel like what whatever you do
2: with this film Laurie Petty has to turn up in there somewhere you have to give her some kind of cameo or you know maybe we do kind of like a legacy sequel where the Tank girl, Laurie Petty is the original, original Tank Girl but there's a new one now
0: <laughs> I, again I'd watch that if it means I get a draw, I'd watch that.
2: <laughs> um, I mean, my my original idea. I I would love to see um, like a British director get a go at this. And I was just thinking, like, you can pretty much look down the list of female directors that Film Four has worked with over the past five or ten years. Like, oh, I know I what mean- you're going to say. <laughs> well, I mean, complete pie in the sky would be Andrea Arnold, but I think at the moment, after Alice Lowe has just done uh, *Prevenge*, <laughs> you, you seems like a like. <laughs> seems like a great choice. Um, and personally, like the the first name that sprung to my my mind to play Tank Girl right now, especially after a new haircut, Kristen Stewart, who is uh, a, a, an enormous star and also doing making some of the most like interesting choices in Hollywood. Um, and also kind of living one of the most interesting like lives in Hollywood where she somehow managed to come out without ever coming out um and as which is a is which is kind a very of, tank
3: girl thing to do
2: yeah yeah um so my mine would be let's say Alice Lowe directing um directing Kristen Stewart with Laurie Petty in there as the original as the original uh tank girl
0: <laughs> is this going to be when um, you win again
2: yeah, it's like no, I mean, in my head, in my head, I always win. But um... he, he doesn't need us at all now, James. Just like,
3: Joe can just, just do the podcast himself. I do every other week. Look, I mean, basically, right? They're not as good as the main ones. So, Joe, if if you win, you're corrupt and abusing your power. If James wins, yes. you are rewarding not thinking about these. And the next time we do one of these, um, I'm just gonna <laughs> name the cast of any existing film and suggest that. And if I win, I've just tried to blackmail you into my yeah. winning by threatening the integrity of the very format. So those are your choices.
0: This is I right mean, out of the Donald Trump playbook. This is.
2: <laughs> I think I think Seb is right that if I reward James here, it rewards not care not trying hard on future <laughs> pitches, and I also always just like set like James not winning because. <laughs> <laughs> His reactions are the most entertaining. Um, so it's between me and you, Seb. And um, I mean, I'll let the listeners decide who's like who's was the real winner here. But I'll I'll give you the Mackenzie Davis version as the uh, as the winner of the pitch this week. But out of time, I don't think I've won one this year. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I mean, James. If it, if it helps, I would definitely watch your movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, if it I helps, would watch, I would I mean, definitely have watched any of these pitched ones. So,
2: yeah, that's for, and, and the animated one as well. Like, I I just think the world right now needs another Tango, but, but let's make it happen, Hollywood.
0: I bet people were not expecting the podcast that panned Mask of the Phantasm to come out in support of Tangle. <laughs> hey, and yet here we are. The
2: the whole podcast did not pan Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, it was great you guys you got what do you know the ex- <laughs> what, we don't need experts anymore anyway <laughs> <sighs> Okay, well, that's it for this week. If you are enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com or forward slash Cinematic Universe. And James, we have um, some Patreon backers uh, to thank.
0: Yeah, I've got a couple because I've missed them for the last couple of weeks, but I would like to thank Neil DeNaro, Charlie Anderson, Christopher Grigg. Ooh... Rano Ban- Banerjee Banerjee very sorry about the pronunciation of that name and Harry Jenkinson
3: who has been on the podcast
2: <laughs> Oh Harry yeah I remember him he was great he listened to me
3: and Seb argue um at, <coughs> at Thought Bubble about uh, Red Dwarf <laughs> I'd also just like to say with with Patreon, um, we're thinking about adding in a Patreon target that if we hit it, we do a spin off podcast where James has to watch Legion. So that's one to think about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would say, actually, if anyone has any suggestions for what they'd like to see from Patreon, get in touch, because, like I say, we're we're currently gearing up for a revamp of it but yeah. we don't have any massively concrete ideas at the moment, so...
2: Yeah, we would kind yeah, of... Yeah, because there's a good chance some of the stuff that we offer at the moment you don't really care about, so it'd be good if we got feedback and, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll
3: bung you some more money yeah. if you do this...
2: Especially, sort of thing as
0: well, especially if you're already giving us money, tell us how we can make it worth it.
3: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So and, and so we've started, for anyone who didn't listen to the bonus one that came out last week, um, we're going to do more bonus episodes that partly we'll use to plug gaps like last week you may have noticed that that was what that one was for but any that we do are going to go on patreon as an exclusive feed from now on so if that's an incentive and if that's an incentive that you like the sound of then let us know Um, but some of them will be about comics like the death of superman one Um, i'm pretty sure we're going to get david on to do nightfall very soon because he's champing at the bit for that one um, but we'll do some as well around other topics. Maybe a little bit more about TV shows because I know Joe, you're quite keen to do some more TV shows. So like classic ones, so things like yes. that. We'll we'll try and we'll do them on bonus ones. But as a as a reward and a, and a thank you for Patreon people, we'll try. And if let
0: you want to hear me, first. if you want to hear me talking about the X Men cartoon <laughs> at length, that's going to happen.
3: Then just phone up and James on and Just just ask him to talk to you about.
2: <laughs> it <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but yes. Yeah, so thank you to all our Patreon backers. Um, you can get in touch with us on Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast to tell us what we got wrong about the film we just discussed. That that can that's just become a regular what, trend. What now, that's guys.
3: basically what our Twitter account is for, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and you can, almo- you can also email us, as uh, some listeners occasionally do, at cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. It's clobbering time. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Tim Story's 2005 film Fantastic Four.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy.